We're going to turn to Ruth chapter 1 and read down into chapter 2 a little ways. Ruth chapter 1, we read of Naomi's loss of her family in chapter 1 and the decision to come back to where she was from originally, the city of Bethlehem. Ruth chapter 1, we're going to start reading at verse 19. This is speaking of Naomi and Ruth. So they too went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass, when they were come to Bethlehem, that all the city was moved about them. And they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite has said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him, in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant was that was set over the reapers answered and said, it is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now, that she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field. Neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said, 
Why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? We'll end our reading there. We trust the Lord will bless his word to our hearts for Jesus' sake. I want us to consider for our time this morning the words that are said in verse 1 of chapter 2. Particularly where it says, And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth. I want us to think about that description for just a moment. The description of the kinsman. A description of Boaz. May the Lord help us to see some things that will profit our own heart and soul. Let's all pray and ask the Lord to bless our time though. Father in heaven, now we pray that you'll bless the word of God. We pray that you will let it be used by the Spirit to encourage us in the things of Christ. Lord, may we truly see the Lord Jesus in that which we think on this morning. We pray that thou would help our minds and hearts to understand what it is that's being pictured for us here. Lord, let the Spirit of God do that mighty work using the two-edged sword. Lord, let him divide the heart. Lord, let him do that work that pairs away the things that need to be moved out of our hearts but then heals the things that need to be healed that we might go on with Jesus Christ. Lord, to this end, I pray that you'll help me as thy servant. I ask for the helping of the Spirit of God. Lord, lead thought and word. Direct everything we think on this day, we pray. In Jesus' name and for his sake, we pray it. Amen. Chapter 2 of the book of Ruth starts out with a call, if you will, for us to suggest that we consider a man, that we consider the one that is being spoken of here. Well, that man is Boaz. We are to consider Boaz. There's something about him that we can look at and learn from. Well, we know from what is being said here that Boaz was the near kinsman of Naomi. Well, that relationship means that he is very, very closely related to Naomi and has rights and abilities to help her that would completely solve all of her troubles. Hmm. Think about that. If you were related to somebody so closely that had the ability to solve all your troubles. I think that's what's being suggested here. Now, we do need to note, I think it is very noteworthy, that Naomi, upon arriving back in Bethlehem, does not mention the name of Boaz at all. Ruth was completely without knowledge of his existence. All Naomi says to anyone on her arrival is that she should be called bitter, for she is utterly empty. 
Well, we might wonder at this point, had Naomi forgotten about Boaz? Or was she so consumed with herself that she didn't have a mind that which was right before her? I have a book on my shelf in my study that was written around the year 1905 by a man whose name was F.C. Jennings. And he took that thought, that question, and he made this comment. I thought it was very astute. He says, Emptiness is only complained about when the kinsman is forgotten. Now there's a thought to think about. You can only complain about emptiness in your life when you have forgotten that you too have a kinsman. Now it is of note that in the book of Ruth, it is the Holy Spirit that introduces Boaz to us that read and not another. The Holy Spirit offers this description. The Holy Spirit calls us to consider this man. In other words, God the Holy Spirit would be saying to you as you read through this book, wait a minute, consider this man because he is the solution to everything that face this woman that faced Ruth, that faces you. And I say, what was said about Boaz is true of another kinsman, Redeemer, too. And you know, quite frankly, until the Holy Spirit introduces the Lord Jesus to you, you won't take knowledge of him either. Isn't that a truth? Until you are, your heart is made alive by the Spirit of God, you won't even think about the Lord Jesus. The natural man considers not the things of God. He thinks they're foolishness. But when the Holy Spirit introduces the Lord Jesus to you, it changes things. Well, we might ask the question then, here. What was so important about Boaz being a kinsman? What was so important? What could he do that just another man in Bethlehem could not do? Well, the answer was, he could redeem. Well, what does that mean? What does to redeem mean? Well, simply this. To redeem means to fully, and I I want to underscore that word in your mind, fully buy back something that was lost. He didn't buy it partially. He didn't buy it mostly. He fully bought back everything that was lost. Naomi had lost her property and her home. She was unable to do anything about it. She needs someone who had the right, the power, and the resources to buy it back for her. That is what Boaz did. And more than just buying back her property. Boaz, by what he did, virtually restored her very life and gave her a future of utter blessing. What Boaz did in redeeming what was Naomi's was not just a matter of gaining back property that was lost. No, no. It was of giving her back a whole life. She had lost everything about life as it were. 
He says, I'm empty. You know, when, and when she says I'm empty, it's not really so much emptiness of property that she's talking about, but emptiness of anything that my heart cares about. Boaz gave it all back by what he did. So, we are to look at this man and consider that what he could do and did picture for us what the Lord Jesus could do and did when it comes to buying our lives back from sin. And the similarities are great. And I want us to think then on this truth as our subject. The Lord Jesus is a mighty man of wealth. The Lord Jesus is a mighty man of wealth. Now, I want us to think about those two descriptive terms. My, sim- my message this morning is going to be exceedingly simple. I have just two points. It says he was a mighty man, and then he was a man of wealth. I want us to think about that, what that means. First, it says he was a mighty man. Well, what could we think that would suggest? Well, I say this, and here's my first point. We look at his ability. He had an ability. Now, the description of Boaz as a mighty man is very, very important. He was not just a man of wealth. Are you following me? He was not just a man of wealth, but he was a mighty man of wealth. What does that suggest? Well, first this. It suggests that he was a man that commands great respect. He was not just a man that is well known or famous because he had a lot of money and property. Now, some men are like that. Because you've got a lot of money, men think, oh, you must be really, really, really knowledgeable or you must be really, really wise. And so we have the rich people of the world going out there trying to make policies for the rest of us. No. This was not a characteristic of Boaz. He wasn't just a wealthy man. He was a mighty man of wealth. A man that had respect, great respect, and he was revered. Because, not of his money, but because of his character and his knowledge. He was mighty because of his character and his knowledge. Now, his character was strong. And impeccable. He was a man of great honesty. He was a man of uprightness. He was a man who considered those that were his people and dealt with them very graciously and very gently. He was a man whose character every mother would want to point their son to and say, if you could be like this man, you would be truly a man who is blessed of God. There was nothing that he could be blamed for. He was strong in doing what was right. Now, Matthew Henry, a commentator from centuries ago, actually, says that this statement, that he was a mighty man, means that he was a man mighty in the law. I'm going to make a a point of that in just a minute, as soon as I plug something in.
He was a mighty man in the law. What could that mean? Well, I think this. It says then that Boaz was great in his keeping of the law. He was great in his knowing the law. And he was great in fulfilling all that the law would require with regard to redeeming what needed to be redeemed. That's what Henry's saying. He was great in this way. I think perhaps we can make a ready application. The Lord Jesus is a mighty man in purity and character. He is the Holy Son of God. He knows all that the law of God requires for a sinner to be saved. And he completely fulfilled God's law, leaving nothing undone. For he is mighty. He is mighty. A man whose character is pure. A man whose righteousness is impeccable. Second, to be mighty would mean he was able to do all that he chose to do. He was able to do all that he chose to do. Now, there was not some part of the caring for his property or his people that Boaz was unable to do. He was a mighty man of wealth. He, he, whatever needed to be done for his people, he did. What he chose to do to supply for the needs of Ruth and Naomi showed that he had power to do so. Whatever he chose, he was able to do. Now again, I'm going to make a ready application here. The Lord Jesus, too, is the one who does all that he chooses to do. He was never forced by the power of man to do or suffer what he did not choose. Let's just think for a second. Could the Lord Jesus forgive sins? Did he ever choose to do that? Could he do that? Did he have power? Did he have ability to do that? Luke chapter 5, you know this incident. The young man was let down through the roof by his four friends into the presence of Christ. And the Pharisees had a big, big problem with what the Lord Jesus was saying at that point. Because he looked at this young man, seeing the faith of his friends, and says to him, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. And of course the Pharisees all gasped at that point. Who has power on earth to forgive sins save God only? And then the Lord Jesus says in Luke 5 and 24, But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy couch, and go into thine house. And what did he do? What did that young man do? He arose, took up his bed, and went to his house. And everybody that was in the house that day said, We have seen strange things today. Strange, really? That Jesus has the power, not just to tell a man to rise up and walk, but to forgive sins. Oh, understand, Christ was mighty man. He could forgive sins. Could he give up his life and take it up again? Did the Lord Jesus lay down his life? And then decide, I shall rise again. Did he have that right? That power? John 10 and 17. Therefore doth my father love me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No man taketh it from me, 
but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. The Lord Jesus is a mighty man. Whatever he chooses, he does. And let me ask this question then. If the Lord Jesus chooses to save you from your sin, does he succeed? You think about it. There was a Lord Jesus on the cross. And one who had been but just a few minutes before reviling him and telling him that he should come down off of the cross if he was really God turns to him because the Holy Spirit had changed his heart and says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What did the Lord Jesus say to that man that was next to him on the cross? Do you remember? This day thou shalt be with me in paradise. Even when on the cross, suffering the worst that men would do, suffering even being made sin, suffering the wrath of God, in that moment, Jesus Christ still had the power to save. You think about that woman that was brought to him. The Pharisees bring her and said, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Thinking, well, now we've got him. He can't deny this. He's going to have to call on her to be put to death because of her sin. What did the Lord Jesus do? First, he identified the sin in the Pharisees, and they couldn't take it, and they walk out. And then he turns and says to the woman, Go, sin no more. Your sins are forgiven. Did he have power to do that? Yes. He was a mighty man. Greater than the sin that any sinner... Understand this. Whatever sin you might say, this is so black, this is so terrible, that I'm sure God will never allow me into His presence because of this. Or I, I'm sure I will utterly know complete defeat throughout all my days because of this. Jesus Christ is greater than your sin. He is a mighty man. A mighty man of wealth in grace and in the power to forgive sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Something else you could say about Boaz that marks his might. And that was he was able to overcome opposition. Boaz had to overcome the obstacles. That stood between him and redeeming Naomi and Ruth. He had these things that were in the way. There was another kinsman that was closer than he. But do you think of other things that he had to consider? He had obstacles in the way. Was that overcome? Did he overcome them? It's sort of interesting that Naomi, who had not said anything about Boaz really to Ruth prior to this point, in chapter 3, verse 18, speaks about the character of Boaz. In other words, she knows much about this man, for she says there, to Ruth, he says, sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall, for the man will not be in rest until he have finished the thing this day. Oh, Naomi remembers what kind of man Boaz is. And she remembers this man is a man who can overcome obstacles. So you just sit still, you be at rest. Oh, is that a word for us? How many things have to be overcome? In order for us to see God. 
sin, death, Satan, unbelief, condemnation by the law, the wrath of God. All of these things have to be overcome. Did the Lord Jesus succeed in overcoming those? This man, once he has offered sin for sins, has sat down at the right hand of God. What does that mean? It means he succeeded. He did overcome all the various things that would keep us from God. Keep us from everlasting life. Boaz was a mighty man. This word there suggests he was filled with ability to do what had to be done. Now I come to my second point. It says he was a man of wealth, meaning he had resource or he had what was needed at his hands to be able to do everything that was demanded. And I want you to understand that when it says that he was a mighty man of wealth, that description is not simply a statement that the man had lots of money and was able to live in great comfort and luxury. There is a very important to note to make at this point. The idea of wealth here, when it says he was a mighty man of wealth, is denoting for us, is suggesting to us that he had the ability to fully meet any possible need that would arise. He was able to purchase whatever was needed to be purchased or to supply whatever need was wanted. He was able, because of what he had, to completely satisfy what was needed. Whether it was the people of his own house, or whether it was those that needed to be redeemed. He had all that was needed to do that. So, I want us to think about this for just a minute. What does this suggest to us? Well, this. First, in the case of our picture here, Boaz could meet every need. He could meet every need. Well, let's ask the question. What were Naomi, Naomi's and Ruth's need? What did they need? Well, you might say, well, they needed a home. They needed a caretaker. Ruth needed a husband. There was a need for a father. Boaz was able to purchase the land and home and do all else that was needed. He was a man who had all the resource of God's blessing to do what was required. And again, my application to you is simply this, that the Lord Jesus also is able to pay for all that I need. He's a mighty man of wealth. He is able to show such power and resource that all my sins can be washed away, not one of them left behind. He can bring me peace with God. He can bring me grace and strength to live. Perhaps this is what Paul is thinking of when he says in Philippians chapter 4, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus The Lord Jesus is a mighty man of wealth. He has all that is needed. He has it at his hands to do everything that is needed to make me to come home to glory 
in full rejoicing, wearing a robe of white righteousness that cannot be made better. So I'm going to ask a question to you today. Maybe you can think about this a little bit. What is it that you need? What is it that you need? I want you to think about that. You know, you may say, well, I don't think I need anything. I'll turn your heart around a little bit and take that to the Lord and ask him, Lord, what am I needing? Search me, O God, and know my ways. Try me. And whatever is seen, whatever comes to the mind, whatever comes to the, to the fore, the point is that Jesus Christ is able to meet that need. There's a man of wealth that can meet the need. Then I want you to think about this. His wealth, what he had to be able to use, what was at his disposal, what his resource was, would completely change the life of those that he loved. What he did, what he gave, what he spent, what he paid, completely changed the life of those he loves. When Boaz redeemed Naomi's home and married Ruth, everything changed for them. Did you ever read the book of Ruth and notice that? Immediately, everything was different. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. No longer was Naomi bitter. No longer was Ruth a Moabitess. Ah, think about that. She was from Moab, but not anymore. Her husband was one of the princes, if you will, of Israel. They belonged to Boaz's family. They had all the honor and wealth of belonging to him. Again, my point is, when we come to Jesus Christ, all things change. We are no longer sinners in the sight of God, but part of his family. We are his bride. And we have all of heaven now watching over us and supplying for us. All things change. Do you need a change? Where are you going to find it? Where are you going to come to? Then this. Boaz comes to the time of need with blessing on his lips. I think it's very interesting that we read here that the very first thing, the very first words that we hear from Boaz are words of blessing. That is not without significance. You know, sometimes we wonder if we come to the Lord Jesus in all of our sin and all of our want so that he can see that we are destitute as Boab was able to see that Ruth and Naomi were destitute. We sometimes think if we come to the Lord in that condition that he will be mad and wish us to go away. What's the truth? Matthew 11 and 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Is that not something that is pictured here in this book? The book of Ruth is, that verse summarizes everything that you read in the book of Ruth. 
Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Why? How can I do that? Because I'm a mighty man of wealth. And the Lord allows us to see that this man comes into the situation with blessing on his lips. And the very first thing you hear out of his mouth is, the Lord be with you. Oh, isn't that very similar to what the Lord Jesus would have said? The one whose name was Emmanuel, God with us? The Lord be with you. You remember when the Lord Jesus came into the room where the disciples were gathered? And they were fearing the Jews. And the Lord came in and he offers the salutation. Peace be with you. The Lord be with you, as it were. He comes with blessing. He will give rest. And he will give to us scoops of barley. And they say, what? Scoops of barley? What did that mean, symbolically? When Boaz told Ruth to hold out her veil, and he takes the scoop, as it were, and he takes the grain. She didn't have to pick through this grain anymore. This was grain that was ready to be ground. He takes the scoop, and he scoops it, puts it in her veil, and he says, go back not to your mother-in-law empty. What was that saying? Well, that's a picture. That the Lord Jesus supplies his grace, not in just little drips and drops, but with scoops. There's a blessing that we have because of our Savior being a mighty man of wealth. So, what do we say to ourselves? If we have a mighty man of wealth like this, in the Lord Jesus, what is the message that we should take to our hearts today and be sure to do it? Well, when Boaz saw Ruth the first time, what did he say to her? Follow along with my maidens in my field and don't go to another. Be not found in another field. In fact, Naomi reinforces that when she says to Ruth, don't you be found in another field now. Don't go to anybody else's. You say, well, how does that relate to me? Simply this. You have a man, a mighty man of wealth who is supplying for all that you need. Don't you be found in another field but his. You say, what other field? There are a lot of people out there who are gleaning, they, at least they think so, in the field that we would call the field of wealth. Trying to acquire wealth. They're out there picking and they're moving the dust and they're trying to get the grains that will allow them to acquire from the field of wealth. You know one thing that's, that, that you can always put down as an absolute rule? Whenever you're out there and your main goal is to try to have wealth and make money, you never can get enough out of that field. You'll never have enough. You'll never have enough. 
You'll always want a little bit more and a little bit more. And what you have, you find, well, it was good for the five minutes that it took me to acquire or whatever it was that that wealth brought me. But now I need something more. Don't go gleaning in that field. There's not anything in that field. It is the field of the Lord that is a field which holds all that's needed. And gems beside. Boaz's field did not just simply supply food for Naomi and Ruth, but it was a field that came to be all things of blessing to them in so many other ways. Well, there's also a field that we would call the field of popularity and acclaim. There's a lot of people trying to dig around in that field. Same thing. It's fleeting. It's but for a moment. It does not, you'll never glean. You'll never get enough grain out of that field to satisfy your soul. Well, some people are working in what we would call the field of entertainment. And I will tell you plainly, you will starve in this field. There's only a few little grains in that field that last for a moment and leave you seeking more. There is nothing in that field. My point to you this morning is this. Come to the field of the mighty man of wealth. Here is your rich future. I'm going to quote a verse from Proverbs chapter 10. And I want you to think about what we just said through the message this morning. And see how this particular verse seems to summarize Proverbs 10 and 22, the blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. Is that a picture of what we're dealing with here? Coming to the place where you are made rich in Jesus Christ, you become related to the mighty man of wealth, and what was sorrow previously, what was a breaking of the heart, what was a cause of bitterness, you don't find that anymore in this place with this kinsman. There was no more sorrow for Naomi or Ruth after they came to Boaz's field. And the same will be true for any who comes to the Lord Jesus. So, where will you glean? To whose field will you come? There's a strong, strong message from the Lord in this. Come to where your mighty man of wealth is. If you will glean in this field, you will find all that your soul needs and more by tens, by hundreds. Well, may the Lord bless his word to our hearts today for Jesus' sake. Let's all pray. Our Father and our God, now we would pray that you will allow the word of God to do a work in our hearts that causes us to be those that heed, those that decide, I will be only in the field that belongs to the Lord Jesus. All the other things that I might find in this world I will forsake them for the blessing of being where Jesus is. Lord, I pray that you will seal this word to our hearts. I pray that you will use the word 
mightily for his sake. Lord, now bless us as we leave this place. Keep us close to thyself is our prayer. We ask in Jesus' precious name and for his sake. Amen.